Sticks and hits and goals and saves and slap shots and goons. We've got sportly commentary to what a few commute. But we also cover movies, TV shows, hits and tunes. It's your weekly bowl of hockey and nonsense. I'm Greg Wyshynski of ESPN. I'm Ryan Lambert from Yahoo. Hello, I'm Sean McAndrew of The Athletic. And you're in Puck Soup, where we will begin this episode with everybody's favorite topic, movie talk. First of all, Bye, as Sean. you know, Puck's, See you. Puck, See you guys. Puck Soup is, of course, a remake of the original Puck Soup. Only this one stars Rebel Wilson and Anne Hathaway. Lambert, your thoughts on the remake of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels? Um, it's nice to see Rebel Wilson in a movie where she might not, in every scene, be going. Isn't it? Uh, isn't it so funny that I'm like overweight and it's and like normally you would think I'm gross to look at and horrible. Um, but the premise of this movie is that it's actually funny that I'm gross to look at and horrible. Uh, <laughs> now, the, the interesting thing about this film for me is that so, so far, according to the trailer. Anne Hathaway could either be doing the worst British accent in film history as part of a con, or Anne Hathaway could be doing the worst British accent in film history. And that, to me, is enough to sell me on potentially seeing this film. <laughs> yeah, I, it really is a thing of, like, um, I think Rebel Wilson is funny, and I think yeah. Anne Hathaway can be... She's great. No, no, don't Good. even qualify it. Fuck you. She's great. She was great as Selena Kyle. She was great mm. in Ocean's 8. She's she was, really, well, she really, was great in Ocean's 8. You're right about that. Yeah. I think she's really good at a certain certain thing. And, well, and, that's and what a I certain was going to say. So, like, yeah. it, it, does this fall into that being a certain thing, or does this fall into, like, is she going to need to do the kind of broad comedy that – sorry for – Broad, I guess. Um, but, like, the kind of broad comedy that's in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. You know what well, I mean? I, here's, where it's yeah, like, where there's, a, like, a lot of physical comedy and stuff. Because I don't know if she's any right. kind of physical comedy. Right. Well, here's the thing. Like, I think she's good at three things. I think she's good at uh, uh, being uh, the innocent, um, like she was in, in Devil Wears Prada. You know, where we kind of see the world through her eyes and, and the Princess Diaries. I think she's good at being a con woman, like we saw in Ocean's 8 spoiler. And I think she's great at being a cat burglar, like we saw in Batman, uh, what was it, like, Dark Knight Returns or whatever. Rises. Rises. Sorry. Jesus. Um, so, like, I think we'll get at least two of those three things in this film. Now, listen, Sean, I know this is movie talk, but you're being drafted back in. Okay. What if I told you there was a movie <laughs> coming out by the director of Train Spotting, no doubt, in which a man, a musician, a musician who's not very good, falls down during what looks like, correct me if I'm wrong here, Lambert, looks a like planet-wide a blackout? No, it, yeah, a planet-wide blackout and also, um, like, he gets hit by a car. Right, okay, so this guy gets hit by a car during a planet-wide blackout. He wakes up. He discovers... That he is now living in a world where the Beatles never existed, but he knows all of their songs. So he then becomes the biggest star in the world playing the Beatles songs to audiences that don't know the Beatles ever existed. What would you say about that premise, sir? You guys cannot fool me with your fake made-up movie premises. 
Uh, no, I, you know what? I, I didn't see the trailer, I, but I heard about it because everybody was kind of talking about this over the last couple of days. And I think it's adorable that we're going to pretend that songs become popular just purely based on the quality of the song. And that's a and great that's point. That if anybody, you know, that like, if I could sing a Beatles song that, you know, I would just show up and, and suddenly I'd be a worldwide sensation. Well, uh, I, I, I it's it's a it's I guess it's a cool premise. I and it doesn't seem to be related to a comic book or like a or Star Wars. So, right. I, I mean that's that's something. It's got that going for it. So are you sure there was that scene? That, I, I'm pretty sure the song from the Cantina and up in, in the first uh, Star the, the Wars was in fact written by universe where the it, next it, movie no one's yeah. heard of the Rolling Stones. <laughs> but no, like like it, it, so he's you know uh, like the pre the. The premise of it is set up in the trailer as he's sitting around like at breakfast with some friends of his, and he just mm-hmm. kind of like absentmindedly starts singing uh, "Yesterday," right? And everybody at the table is like, "Holy shit!" Because "Yesterday" now, is like such a good now, song. It, it's a great song, but now to, to Sean's point, though, I, I kind of agree with it um, in most cases. Except I will say that having seen. Uh, guys in college play Blackbird and Norwegian Wood in, like, the dorm common area and having freshman girls who were unaware that these are Beatles songs fawning (laughs) over these songs. I do think there is something to be said for songcraft can triumph over lack of charisma and or talent. There's something to be said for that. That is possible. And if the entire movie takes place in Greg's freshman dorm, then I am all in. First day, first day lineup. I'm seeing that movie. We'll see, we'll see. We'll see if Pat Oswalt's available to be face down after drinking his first <laughs> bottle of Jack Daniels, like I was freshman year. Um, yeah, I, I think this is going to be a real fun movie. But I think it's it's like you know not to get movie nerd for a second. Like Danny Boyle is is pretty good at a lot of things. I don't necessarily know if, if unless this has got a real cynical bent that I'm not seeing in the trailer, I'm a little bit worried this is going to get a little a little Slumdog Millionaire for me, which was a film that people really love, but people, I, I didn't, I, yeah, I didn't that love. was a miss for me too. I, I wasn't yeah, I didn't a like fan. it. Um, um, but yeah, th- but this is though. this is they sold it to me <clears throat> just on the premise of it, which is like I love when a movie does that. Like, mm-hmm. like Taken, for example, was just like they, they showed me him giving the speech. And I was like, "That's mm-hmm. it. I'll see this fucking movie. You, you, you got right. me." And and it's right. the same thing here. Yeah, I, I agree. I do look forward to the trend now in Hollywood. By the way, is to take movies like this and have um, it remade a few years later for a black audience. So I look forward to Kevin Hart discovering that he lives in a world where Eddie Murphy didn't exist <laughs> and just does his joke. Oh wait, that it's is the same this world. Jokes, yeah, it's it the is. same joke. All right. Um, by the way, speaking of movies, we should also mention something hockey-related. On this very podcast recently, we lamented the fact that there are no new line nicknames in hockey. Apparently, according to some of our readers and listeners, there is now one in Long Island, uh, or on Long Island, for the Islanders. And it was coined by Barry Trotz. Are you aware of this? Have you heard about this? No, Have you heard I, about I, this? I'm not aware of this. No, is, this, is, this, is this the E equals MC squared, or do they have like another? Oh no, this is a new. This is a line okay. that he coined. A right. line featuring noted, uh, well-loved veterans Leo Komarov and Volteri Fupula. It is called the Fix It Felix line, a reference to the movie Wreck It Ralph, 
Uh, Wreck-It Ralph, of course, the video game character who is constantly trying to wreck it when Fix-It Felix is trying to fix it. And he says that this is the Fix-It Felix line. If you, uh, the, These two guys are sort of my, are like, Fix-It Felix. If you need someone to be fixed, sometimes you send it to that line and it gets fixed. So the Fix-It Felix line, despite neither of those guys being named Felix is the name that Barry Trotz has bestowed upon this line. So there you go. I'm going to look up what their on-ice PDO is this year. (laughs) (laughs) Because I have a feeling that it's um, high. Because those two guys are, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Bad. So you're saying that you think they're more of a Wreck-It Ralph line than a Fix-It Felix line. I think in the long run. I think if you give them more than 45 (laughs) minutes together or whatever the number is. Uh, I think you're gonna. I think you're gonna end up looking at. Uh, come on, natural stat trick. Here we go. Yeah, and the Islanders have a two-one lead entering the third period, and people and Komarov looking at. It, they're like, we're gonna wreck it. <laughs> I. You know what? That's that is a terrible line name, but I I respect. <laughs> I respect Barry Trotz for being like it, it. Like I feel a connection that he only the only movie references he knows are like kids movies. That All right, kids guys. Movies, right. What do you what do you think? What do you think those two guys' on ice save percentages together in about five hundred forty minutes this year? At now, this five is on five. this is interesting because the Islanders' save percentage as a team is like pretty fucking high. It's yeah. like yep. nine nine twenty five. I would say so. The way you're selling this obviously tells us this, this is going to validate your opinion about these players. Yeah, of course it so is. I'll say it's, I'm right about I'll say it's, I'll say it's, I'll say it's 915. 915 I, I'm going to say 930. The answer is 958. <laughs> <laughs> so they did fix it. They, they fixed, fixed it. it. Wow. Right on. <laughs> 958. That is... There you go. That, like, I don't know that I've ever actually seen one that high. And it's yeah. in... 500 minutes so like that's not a small sample they've been together most of the year they fix it now you you've i've seen you on twitter a few times in between tweets about you know climate change and you know the edmonton media which we'll get into but you seem to believe that the islanders are not are not sustainable boy greg i i don't know if this has come up earlier uh in the year but no i mean like like you said they have two goalies who are like okay that now they're nine, they're both nine thirty or something like that, and the league average is down. I don't buy this at all. <laughs> Come on, but but maybe but maybe it's the Jacques Lemaire fan in me that believes that you know if you have a system and you have the structure, and clearly Trotz is coming to that team. Their shots per game uh, or uh, shots against per game is down by like five on average. Yeah, but how could it season, not be? Which is insane. Right? Yeah, but 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 it is, but it is though, and I'm saying to you that like I think that it could be sustainable. Well. From a defensive point of view, I do they have enough horses to fucking compete in the playoffs? Clearly not. No. Which is why they should trade for Panarin. But like that's I think that from a defensive standpoint, I could see this continuing on. I don't with that defense, with that like that personnel. So the argument is that and boy, I'm glad I get to relitigate this again for, <laughs> for all these for all these people that are gonna be in my mentions about it. But no, like the the argument is that Barry Trotz always has an okay Corsi, but a pretty high expected goal difference. Uh-huh. And my argument is high-end players always outperform their expected goal difference. Alex Ovechkin, right. Nick Backstrom, Evgeny Kuznetsov, John Carlson, um, Braden Holtby, 
You're always going to outperform that. And and do they do the Islanders have guys like that? Oh, obviously they don't, right? They have like one guy like that, right? They have Matt Barzal, and yeah. do they have a de- like who's their best defenseman? Is it still Nick Letty? Like, <laughs> one, yeah, because they're trying. I mean, cause I, like, I mean, they're trying to sell me on. Well, you know, Devin Taves came into the lineup and it really turned everything around. And it's like the Quinnipiac guy, the the AHL guy who barely made. You know, it. you say. You say all this shit without acknowledging that they have the Fix-It Felix line and the best fourth line in the NHL. So go fuck yourself. That's, They're great. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Sean, do you believe the Islanders are sustainable? Well, I mean, sustainable – the thing is – I mean, Ryan's right. They're they're riding a, a goaltending uh, you know, hot streak that <clears> – <throat> probably isn't sustainable in the big picture. I don't think Robin Lehner is suddenly, even given all the changes he's made in his life, that he's suddenly the you know one of the very best goaltenders in the entire league. But we've seen goalies go hot and stay hot for an entire season. And yeah. like there's a part of me that thinks when you get to the sixty game mark and you're still doing it, you know, maybe it's not sustainable in the big five year picture, but is it sustainable for the last twenty games of the season and into the playoffs? Like at this point it could be, yeah. you know, I, I mean, yeah. I don't think the Islanders are, you know, like I, I, I finally this week put them in my, my top five on the, on the power rankings. I don't think on paper, they're the fifth best team in the league, but when you start getting into who has the best chance of winning a Stanley cup and you look at them, you know, they, they, the gaps closed a little bit, but they'd opened up a bit of a gap on top of the division. The rest of the division seems like a mess. Uh, you know, like the, the things are falling into place here. And, you know, obviously if they were to, win a couple rounds and have to go up against Tampa, they're, they're yeah. going to be the big underdogs there. That's, but- that's the thing. Like, I think, I think, I think that there are two, it, uh, their ceiling is two rounds. Like their, their ceiling is they Absolutely. could make the conference final. Absolutely. They could make the conference final with that, with that, by playing the style of defense. And then they get fucking marauded by whoever comes out of the Atlantic. Yeah. I mean, right now they might be, and, and this'll, this'll make Islander fans mad at me, but they've got kind of a vibe of like a better version of, the 2017 Senators, where it's not... I said a better version. It's not a better version. <laughs> but it's like, it's, its you know, they, they're they are a good team, but everything is also falling into place. And, right. you know, that, that Senators team, you know, they got the two, you know, very good matchups. And then they went into a conference final, and yeah, they, they lost to, uh, to the eventual cup champs. But they right. took it to Game 7 overtime. So, yeah. you know, I don't think there is and such a thing as a ceiling. that's the exact kind of logic that has the Ottawa Senators right where they want to be right. in 2019. <laughs> and, like, that's, yeah. that's the thing. That's and, and, so that wasn't sustainable in the big picture. But that year, yeah, it, it you know, 60 uh, games in, they were what they yeah. were. And it, and it did turn out to be sustainable. So I, do, I, do look, I, do, I do look forward to the, the, the next season after this run for the Islanders when lose like, era, we will trade off first round pick for Matthew Shane. We're that close. Yeah, no, because that's the thing. Do that right now. That's the thing Dom Lecision <laughs> uh, from The Athletics said the other day, or maybe yesterday, uh, where he said, you know, um, any, any guy, the, any team that's going to trade with the Islanders should really be angling for their 2020 first round pick and not their 2019. Yeah. That's it. That was yeah. a great point. I love, I love that. That was fantastic. And he's completely right. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, there's the Islanders. Hey, so, um, we should probably stick with, uh, with, with hockey stuff before we get into Twitter beefs. Uh, Randy Carlisle was finally fired. Um, always tough to fire a friend. 
always tougher when you've stuck with that friend far too long because he's your friend, despite every single fucking, uh, you know, mile marker telling you that you're going in the wrong direction. Uh, but he gets fired. And then, of course, what happens last night, uh, boys? The Ducks play their first game with Bob Murray behind the bench. Uh, gets laugh fights. Kessler fights. They all look like they're back into it. And and all of a sudden, now we're talking about, like, they've got their mojo back. They're playing harder for Bob Murray because he's the guy who could hire or fire them, even though they all have trade protection. And Kessler and Getzlaff are completely unaffected by him being behind the bench. I think the big change, as far as I'm concerned, is former UMass Lowell goaltender Kevin Boyle getting between there the pipes. Is. There it is. Big shutout in his first NHL start. And I got to tell you, nobody should be surprised by this. No, not at all. Not at all. It's so funny when you see, like, that's why, that's why, go- one of the most interesting trends I think that we've had in the last 20 years in the NHL, um, and, and maybe we haven't, like, written enough about it because we're all sort of afraid that these guys are all going to turn into pumpkins at some point. Like, you don't have to do the Carey Price thing anymore. Like, you can just fucking find goalies. Now. Well, so like, it, it, I don't know that that's true because, because every time, you know, somebody's like, look, you can, you can ride uh, Anti Niemi to a cup, to a cup win. Then three, like fifteen teams try that the next year, and all fifteen of them are mediocre or worse. No, that's a, that's a that's an under. I understand what you're saying, and I understand that like we're living in a world where Andre Vasilevsky, I think, was a first round pick, right? Like, they're, like they're clearly the cream of the crop does have pl- uh, goalies that they drafted high and then developed, but then you see like Jordan Binnington come up and. You know, yeah, but uh, do we think Jordan Bennington, who's a 26-year-old goalie who's been average at best in the NH- in the AHL for five years, like, do we think he's a 9.30 goalie like he has been? I, I don't fucking Keith Kincaid, Keith Kincaid got the Devils into the playoffs last year, for God's sakes. Yeah. Fucking Keith Kincaid. Once. How's he doing this year, Greg? Shitty. Yeah, so exactly, because he sucks. I don't know. Like, I, th- I, I think ultimately you're probably right in the sense that, like, when you look at, at Winnipeg and you look at Tampa, you look at Nashville, um, uh, Bishop, I think, was Bishop a high pick or was he a low pick? I think I he was a second rounder, but uh, Connor Hellebuck wasn't a high pick. He was in like was the, he not? He was like the fourth or fifth round, I want to say. Oh, okay. Well, Another UMass okay. so, goalie. Just if, you take, if you took the top eight teams in the league, the majority of them probably drafted their goalies high. But I'm still, I'm still saying that you don't necessarily uh, – I think there's probably more, been more goalies – well, first of all, goalies aren't really taken in the first round, but I bet there was more mm-hmm. goalies brought in with lofty expectations who didn't pan out, uh, you know, versus a bunch of guys that maybe were developed within the system and came through. Like, I, I feel like that's been the trend, but maybe I'm wrong. Who's, who's no, the fucking I, I think I think that's mostly right that, like, you know, teams t- are now taking the Jonathan Quick uh, approach and and, you know, saying – you know, we can get a good goalie in the fourth or fifth round. It's not a big deal um, because, you know, goalies are, as as the saying goes, goalies are voodoo, right? Like, they're, yeah. they're just hard to project. And and, and and look no further than that situation. Quick was 72nd overall, third round in 2005. And the, the guy, a guy who was backing him up this season was the 11th overall pick in 2010 in Jack Campbell. Right. Who who never became yep. the guy that he was drafted to be? So and the thing is, it takes know. him so long to develop that even you know you're right. Like you know a guy like Connor Hellebuck isn't necessarily a high pick, but by the time he arrives, he's considered a top goaltending prospect, and, and right. he's got a lot of. But you're 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 right. Like well, goaltenders to me, yeah. I and I've, I've been thinking this for a while. Like goal, goaltenders to me are starting to feel a lot like kickers in football. 
in the sense that there's there's more of them out there than jobs available. There's a few really good ones, yeah. and if you've got a really good, reliable one, that's awesome. Uh, but if you don't, that's you, you know, in theory, that's not too big a deal because there's lots of guys out there. A guy that you know maybe you don't think of as as a star might have a great year. Uh, and, and if he doesn't have a great year, you go out and get somebody else who can do it. The problem is like, you know, goaltending in hockey and kicking in football, if you don't have it, you are screwed and it can ruin your entire season. So I understand why, you know, I, I see this from time to time. Somebody will say like, you know, if I was an NHL GM, I would just sign like three or four guys, veterans at, at low salaries, let them fight it out. Chances are one of them is going to have a big year. And yeah, that. Chances are they will, but if they don't, you've just screwed your entire season, uh, and you're going to take the blame for it as a GM. I understand why teams would rather go out there, lock somebody in long term, and and just say, "He's our guy. I'm done with this position." And if he doesn't play well, that's on him, not on me for not having a guy in here. Yeah, there's a lot of guys that should be in the league right now that aren't. Like, I could still be playing goaltender for the Philadelphia Flyers, but that in a place with no parks or with bears because of Chinese tigers and also the galaxy. Prince is cooked. I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, it's a weird deal. Uh, the, the Ducks are, of course, going to turn their season around now. Yes or no? Yeah, Kevin Boyle. They're, <laughs> all, they're only, what, six points out of the playoffs? They, they could get right six back points into up. it. I think I think I mean if I'm Bob Murray I'd just remove any uh you know any speculation right now make myself the full-time coach That's going right. forward. I mean this is clearly I mean it's easy. I mean geez, this is like first time out there and uh, To be fair, they it, got to play the Canucks. So he's a he's yeah. a savant. This Yeah, oh yeah, he's 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 a natural at this. I I I wouldn't be surprised if they rallied to make the playoffs only because like there's enough on this roster to be a playoff team. It's just they finally got rid of the fucking shitty coach. That was holding them back. I mean, for God's like, and, and this is like the the single maybe most predictable thing that was going to happen this season was the minute that John Gibson couldn't carry the team anymore, they were going to fucking fall apart because they'd been terrible since the first night. Like it, 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 anybody could have seen this, so it was like malfeasance to not have fired Randy Carlisle I, previous I, to this. Yeah, that's the thing. I, I yeah. don't think they're going to make the playoffs. I think they're going to miss the playoffs no, by two I, or three points, and we're all gonna we're all gonna look back and say that sticking with Randy Carlisle was the worst decision that any GM made all year because like, I, I, I gotta say, man, like I, I, as a Leaf fan, I lived through the Randy Carlisle experience. And so I haven't been a huge fan of him as, as an NHL coach who moves the needle. But I mean, when you get fired and you get replaced by somebody who has literally never done that job before <laughs> and they come in and immediately start doing it better than you did like that, that hurts. Like that's, that's rough. Yeah, it's it's basically the premise of an Adam Adam Sandler movie. Like the yeah. coach gets fired, and then all of a sudden they turn to you. They're like, "Stick boy, do you want to take over?" be the coach, and it's and then he just leads them to within two or three points of the playoffs. It's fantastic. Could happen. It could happen. Um, we uh, somebody, I believe it was Lambert, wanted to talk about Gerard Gallant, uh, his heel turn against the Golden Knights this week, as he was exasperated by how shitty they were playing. Yeah, I like I just think that they haven't been playing that shitty. Like that's he's like I can't believe these fucking guys are the worst and it's like I don't know, like they're they're not amazing like they were last year, but like on the balance they've been really good this year and and obviously some of that's going to be like trying to light a fire under guys asses or whatever. Right, but I yeah. was, ju- but I was just like, you know, I can't get like super mad at these guys for only being third in 
a conference with two of the best teams in the league, like or a division rather. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he seemed super pissed because the effort wasn't there. I guess in the third period right. they had you some defensive lapses the and Coyotes shit. for sure. So you certainly don't. You certainly don't. But they, you know, they're they're a funny team. Like I, you know. I can't quite figure out what they're. I mean, we'll talk about the deadline later. Like, I can't quite figure out what they're going to try to buy. You know, they're going to buy something because their owner is like, "We need a Stanley Cup now that we played for one," and uh, and they've got a ton of assets to trade. But like, I don't. I just think overall, their their date when I when I've seen them play, they're not the same sort of like pain in the ass to play against that they were last season. And I'm not quite sure where that change happened. Maybe it's they don't have the chip on their shoulder anymore. I don't know. That's like playing pop psychologist here. But they just don't look like it's hard to play against as last year. Well, I, the, I think... The thing, go ahead, Sean. I was just going to say, the thing that, that I find interesting about them is I'm looking at them in the standings right now. They're uh, As of uh, Thursday morning, they're eight points back of Calgary, nine points back of San Jose. So they're basically... They, it, that was a three-team race for the Pacific, <laughs> and it's a two-team race now. But they're nine points up on the Canucks for third in the Pacific. So they're going to make the playoffs. They're basically this year's version of, do you remember last year with the Leafs where for the entire season, we knew they were finishing third in the Atlantic. And it was kind of like, what, okay, so what do you do when you already know you got 25 games left and you know where you're going to finish? You know, it, it gives you the opportunity to to do some things. You can try some things. You can put people maybe higher in the lineup than you might want to and, and sort of see what they can do. You can rest your your goaltender uh, more than you might. You can rest your player. You can you can give guys nights off and, and everything. And the Leafs didn't do any of that last year. The Leafs basically just kept pedal to the metal, kept playing exactly the same way. Started Frederick Anderson sixty five times or whatever it was. And you know I'm not saying that's why they lost in the playoffs, but but you know he certainly wasn't very good, and they they didn't really have a chance to learn much about uh, uh, you know the younger players on the team. And I'm curious to see whether Vegas takes advantage of that opportunity or whether Gerard Gallant treats it like Mike Babcock did and, and basically just says, we're going to keep doing the exact same things that we always do and, and just see, see wherever it winds up. I'm going to say option B. Yeah, I, I think that's <laughs> probably, I think that, well, especially because unlike the Leafs, this is a team of like guys who have been around for the most part, right? Like these are all guys who have been in the league four or five years minimum. Um, or, or, and certainly, you know, the best players on that team, your your pet your reddies and and your top line from last year with Riley Smith and Will and William Carlson and all that. But to to Greg's point about them being hard to play against or whatever, I think their underlying numbers are like relatively similar to last year. But you know what isn't is their uh, PDO is pretty bad this year, and last year mm-hmm. it was really good <laughs> and like really good, yeah. And I think that is a thing where. You know, goals going in and not going in is often what gets what like presents itself as being hard to play against, right? Like, if you're really good at keeping the puck out of the net and the team has a nine seventeen save percentage or whatever, um, you know that's great. But it, it, if it if the next year it's only a nine oh eight save percentage. That looks like, oh, you know, we're slacking off on defense a little bit, blah, blah, blah. No. 
I think I think there's something to be said for the eye test. Like you look at the Devils this year, and they're and, and they're like a fucking pushover compared to how they played last season. Just like they're playing the neutral zone, they're forecheck. Like they're just they're just not the same team. And 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 in Vegas's case, like when you saw Vegas play last year, like it was like watching wave after wave after wave of line come at you, and and they would just fucking control pace and take over games. And it's just not not been as consistent. Not to say they still can't do it because I've seen them play well. Uh, this year, but like I just feel like it's not the same the same vibe. But you know what it is though, boys. Maybe sometimes they're just tired. They play a lot of games last year. Maybe they need a little rest. And you know, this if you need good some one. good rest, this is a real good there's one. Only, there's only one place to look, and that's our friends wow. at Lisa Mattresses. Everybody has the right to rest, including the Golden Knights. The key to getting your best rest: the right mattress. Meet Lisa. With two awesome mattresses plus accessories and bases for better, deeper rest. The all-foam Lisa mattress is new and improved, featuring cooling LSA 200 foam, except no substitute, uh, for enhanced pressure relief for side sleepers, or rest on their Sapira hybrid mattress, the perfect combination of foam and spring for pressure relief and edge-to-edge support. Get on your edges, boys. Lisa's mission is to provide a better night's sleep for everybody, and from day one, Lisa set out to create a company with heart, like Carter Heart. That's why they donate one mattress for every 10 they sell to organizations that work in causes like foster care prevention. It's an underreported uh, aspect of Carter Hart's whole thing is that he really does a lot of work with foster kids. Yeah, right, and he's also very springy. And uh, provides the flyers a cushion. To date, they've donated more than 32,000 mattresses through more than 1,000 nonprofits. Uh, I've got a Lisa mattress. It's, it's great. It, I, it, it, when I'm not on it, I miss it. Uh, the foam uh, completely it, it encapsulates me uh, like I'm in the womb. Don't miss Lisa's President's Day sale. Get 15% off any mattress for a limited time at lisa.com. That's L-E-E-S-A dot com slash soup. And then use the promo code soup. That's L-E-E-S-A dot com slash soup. Promo code soup. Don't miss their President's Day sale. My favorite president is William Taft because he was morbidly obese. And it always fascinated me that he got elected despite that fact. If it was today, Lambert, and there was Instagram, I don't think that William Taft would get elected personally. Yeah, we don't have a morbidly obese president now, that's for sure. Look, look! Look what happened to Chris Christie. Everybody started making jokes when he showed up on that beach after he closed the beaches, and then he was on the beach by himself with his family, and the helicopter caught him. That was very. I think cool. the same thing, the same fate would befall uh, William Howard Taft. Do you have a favorite president, Lambert? <sighs> Abraham Lincoln, I guess. Probably the only oh, one of the very few just wars we've ever been involved in. Yeah, that's a pretty good one. Uh, Sean, do you have a favorite prime minister? Yeah, I was going to say if if you guys. Think I I'm not uh, down with movies and uh, pop music. You should hear my takes on U.S. presidential history. Is there a good prime minister? Were you a Brian? I don't know. I'm going to just name some. Did you like Brian Mulroney? He he was he was fine. Do you uh, like guess. Justin Trudeau? Yeah. He seems a bit of a of a rock star. He he yeah. We all like him, but he's involved in a big scandal now that nobody understands. It's Uh-oh. literally like it's it's great. Like you know, I, I love. I, you know, for for all the, the uh, issues you guys are having down there, like your scandals are easy to understand. It's like the well, president, what's the, scan- the president the punched an orphan, and <laughs> all right. so we're all going to be mad about that for like three hours, and then move on to something else. Whereas what's we've got like something 
Well, hold on. What's there, the Justin Trudeau scandal? Did he forget to wipe down his gym equipment? Some, uh, there was some contractor or, or some company that was working with the government, and they did something wrong, but then there may have been pressure for them not to be prosecuted uh, to the full extent, and, and did that come from the prime minister's office and this and that? But it's it's one of those hmm. things where, like, every article on it has, like, 18 paragraphs explaining right. who is doing what and, and where all this comes from. And we all just kind of go along and nod, but not what? one of us up here actually understands what's happening. It's a real why, why isn't it dome just, yeah. scandal. It's a real teapot dome scandal, exactly. Why doesn't it just end like every other Canadian political scandal with everybody apologizing? It well, it it probably will. Except the problem is we've got an election coming up soon, so it, it oh. this could be like this. This could be the scandal that results in the rock star is, being being like. Imagine the worst Canadian Trump impersonator that you can imagine, and like that's oh. that's uh, that that may be what we're Doug dealing with. Ford. In, well, okay. Oh, was, so the sec the second yeah. worst. The second I was going to say because, Martin yeah. Short doing Donald Trump would be the worst Canadian. I would vote for that guy. Impression I would one hundred percent vote for. Vote for Martin Short doing so. Wait, so, is it, are elections in Canada like here? Like, are you inundated with fucking propaganda and shit at all times leading up no. to your elections, or no? No, because because uh, our elections, like, we're we're more like the British system where elections are called. They're not like every four years where we know well in advance. So, what happens is Whoa. they call an election and they tell us there's going to be an election in a month, and then we're inundated for like a month. But it's not like you guys where you're already in election season. Wait, let's really break down this 2020 field, by the way. It's, yeah, it's going no, great. Hold, hold on. Can I, can I just, I, I, I will freely admit not being familiar with either of these political systems. When you say it's called, what you just like one day, someone's just like, let's have an election. And then like yeah. a month yeah, later, you have one. The, well, who the says ruling, that though? Yeah. The ruling party, like there, there's a limit to how long you can serve, but the, you know, so at some point in there, the ruling party has to say, okay, we're going to hold an election. They, they dissolve parliament and every, and, and there is a, a new election held. And so if you're the ruling party, you might be forced into it. Like there's certain scenarios where maybe you don't have the support anymore and, and you, you have no choice, but generally you're trying to pick your spot where you feel like you're in the best position to, to mm. win an election. And then you kind of hit the reset button and, uh, if you win, you've got you know three to five more years in power, wow. and if you lose, then then somebody wow. else. So there's there's a strategy to it, and the nice thing is we don't have to talk about elections for like two years in advance, like uh, like you lovely folks seem to like to do. Yeah, it sounds like you really have to pick your spot. It's like in bar trivia when you circle that little B at the bottom of the sheet to double your score for that round because right. you think you're going to do really well that round. It, is, it sounds it is like that's exactly that's- like it, it is that. That's actually how it's explained in our constitution. It's exactly that way. <laughs> uh, speaking of Canada, Ryan Lambert made more friends this week. Um, I would say renewed acquaintances. So, okay, uh, fair enough. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Mark Spector tweeted, over the years, we've watched every Oilers coach reach this point. Oh, we should stop before we yeah, get there, by th- the way. there's some background th- here. Th- 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 thoughts on Ken Hitchcock. Elliot Friedman reported that there was a rumor going around that Ken Hitchcock was going to fucking quit last weekend. That fucking rules, Just dude. Walk, That's so Walk cool. away from the fucking team. I am, I am first of all... Uh, it is uh, a, a stunning uh, thing to have that appear in Elliot's column. Like, I don't think he necessarily traffics in that level of rumor. Um, 
but on the same uh, side of that coin, it's the fucking greatest rumor to ever report. Yeah, that's that Ken so Hitchcock awesome. is so fed up with that team, he was going to walk yeah. away from it. And not um, like at the and, and just to be clear, it wasn't like at the end of the season, yeah. where we all figure there's a good chance Ken Hitchcock will, will walk away. This was like like now. Like, yeah, my I'm man done. was like, "It's February eighth. I gotta get the fuck out of here while I still can." <laughs> but but I've been but here like for I, like seven weeks. I'm this done. Sucks. But like I said, like I said in the, in the I did a ranking of the of the coaching changes since last April, and I had him last. I don't I don't have any problem with him walking away. He had one job. His job was to save Peter Chiarelli's job. He couldn't do it. Yep. So your job, your work here is done. You're not there to fucking serve at the pleasure of Keith Gretzky. You were there to save Peter Chiarelli's job, and you couldn't. So if you wanted to walk away tomorrow, I'd be like, fine. The one thing you were paid to do, you couldn't do. Yeah. No. Well, I mean, he was when he was brought in, it was made clear that it was it, this could potentially be a short term thing. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. But but yeah, him dramatically quitting. I hope he quits in the middle of a game. Just walks like, I off hope the there's bench, just uh, throws yeah. a clipboard on just, the ice and just fucking storms out. Yeah, <laughs> I hope there's like a game where like the the Oilers come out and like like they give up a goal on the first shift and they they cut to a shot of Ken Hitchcock behind the bench looking angry yeah. and then they give up another goal and they cut to a shot of him looking even angrier and then there's another goal and they cut to a shot of him just simmering and then there's a fourth goal and they cut to a shot and he's just not there. And the players are just looking around, and you just look, and you just see like a door flapping in the distance, where it's like, yeah, he's you done. Get, you, you get that 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 stationary camera that they have in the hallway between the bench and the dressing room. You just see him waddling away with like a copy yeah. of a book on the Battle of Manassas in his hand, going to the coach's room, and just he's, <laughs> yeah. And he he pulls off his hockey sweatshirt to reveal a retirement sweatshirt, or whatever else he would say. Just that's it. Goodbye. All right, so Mark Spector tweeted, Over the years, we've watched every Oilers coach reach this point. Hitchcock got there last night. It's bigger than him. The culture problem in Edmonton, bigger than, bigger than any of them ever think it is. To which Ryan Lambert, America's sweetheart, wrote, Imagine being in the yes-man local media and not realizing you're part of the culture problem. To which Mark Spector responded, Sorry? Sorry? To which Ryan Lambert responded, you liked the Hall trade. You liked the Lucic signing. And as of one fifteen, January 15th, we're saying he's providing hope that he can turn it around. You still back Chris Russell as a viable, a valuable piece. You said Ken Hitchcock was the perfect hire. Your about face on all of this is, let's say, conveniently timed. You don't, you don't get to agree with every bad decision the organization made over a multi-year period to get more identity that bought the team to this point and then also go, boy, whatever's going on is fucked up. <laughs> like, you liked everything they did. You fucked up, dude. Get a clue. To which uh, Twitter cop and good taste uh, arbiter Ryan Rashog uh, then uh, jumped in to say, don't engage with the lippy trolls, spec. Zero discussion of value to be had here. Keep on keeping on like he's a fucking convoy trucker. To which Mark Spector said, yep, out. So, lippy troll, what say you about this intense exchange with the Edmonton well, media? So, I mean, like, I'm right, of course. Um, <laughs> right? Like, like, what are we fucking talking about, dude? Like, Mark Spector, here's, here's Mark Spector. And he, Peter Chiarelli makes any move, like, in asterisks, like it's on Twitter. Peter Chiarelli makes any move. Great decision by Peter Chiarelli. This is a really good one. And then uh, four years later when it doesn't work out because anybody could have seen it coming that it doesn't work out, 
uh, Mark Spector's like, wow, I'm real. Well, and, and, you know, yeah. in, in hindsight, this was a bad deal, but who could have seen it coming? And, and, the, and the thing I compared it to in, in the power rankings I do uh, this week was, like, if you have a shitty old car and uh, you get a new coach or a new mechanic and the new mechanic's like, well, here, uh, why don't we uh, get rid of the steering wheel? Why don't we get rid of the stick shift that works pretty good? And uh, you know what? Let's swap those out for a couple of glove compartments, a new spare tire, a couple of uh, headrests for the back seat. And then the Edmonton media is like, boy, this this thing is just uh, just a few pieces away from being able to be in the Indy 500. <laughs> right? And then you get uh, then you win a contest where you have the worst car in the world and they and they let you put a free Ferrari engine in it. And they go, now if you had a nice driver, this this would fix everything. And and like you go, well, wait a minute, this car sucks. It's terrible. I don't care if it has a Ferrari engine in it, it's missing two wheels. And and the Edmonton media goes, well, you know what? A lot of mechanics would actually put more uh, glove compartments in there. <laughs> like, and that's the fucking Edmonton media. Like the thing, the thing, Spectre the thing that is, drives me the oh. I know the thing that the thing that drives me the most mental about Spectre, besides the uh, you know insane the fucking ping pong game of opinion that goes on in his head where it's it's contrarian for one week and then it goes the completely opposite way the next week the fucking lucic saga like it 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 is it is it is it is settled law that that is a fucking horrible signing but every few weeks like a goddamn groundhog he he puts his little fucking head up and starts like i don't know two assists in six games he could be turning it around and just like what the fuck are you talking about just because you like the guy and he's obviously a source like you can't keep doing this bullshit of trying to relitigate what is without question one of the most regrettable contracts that's been signed in the last fucking six years like it's insane to me that he keeps doing that anyway you're a lippy troll we yeah. all, we all and, know that. and that's boy <laughs> i wonder if that the fact that he's like the head of the phwa has anything to do with all these people rushing to his defense every time he uh. fucking says another dumb shit thing about how bad the fucking oilers are like literally last night he had a tweet in the middle of the Oilers game. Look, people don't want to talk about it, but uh, McDavid and Dreisaitl need to be better defensively. And it's like, right. you have to be fucking kidding me, dude. Like, you just you just defended all of this shit and said there's something in the but water. But no, no, no. The, Come on, but the worst dude. part about that was, like, he was one of the guys that was like, Ken, the, Hen, the Ken Hitchcock signing is great because it'll make McDavid and Dreisaitl better. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even do that. Incredible. T- to, to, two things here. First of all, I just want to say I, I love the fact that this this big uh, fight between the uh, between Canada and America begins with the like the first punch thrown by the Canadian is literally him saying sorry. I, that is such a Canadian. That is such a Canadian flame war. Sorry? Question mark? And then just like eighteen angry tweets just. Direct it right out. Here's I, I'm going to say something on the subject of the Oilers because, and I got to be careful how I phrase this because this if I if I put this wrong, it's going to sound like I'm making a really bad take, and and I'm actually trying to do the opposite. But I, I'm, I'm going to be I'm going to tread carefully. I mean, but do you know what show you're on? I mean, it's, it's yeah, fine good, if it's yeah, really good, bad. Take. Good point. Good point. Let's. It, here, here's the thing. The 
Oilers, like it seems like the debate with the Oilers lately has been this whole idea that it is a it, it is a culture problem and that it's a well, Sean, there's something in the water. Uh, something in the water. It's it's the compete level, the hard, like the effort level just isn't there. And and I'm firmly of the belief that the problem in Edmonton is self evidently and obviously the lack of talent, yeah. and that if there's any sort of problem around. The effort level, it's it's simply a result of the fact that the players aren't stupid and they know they don't have enough talent and they know that they're going to get their teeth kicked in most nights. And so that probably over the course of a long season might affect your your commitment and effort levels. But uh, I understand that there are some people who, who don't buy that and they think that it's, it's, an, it's an effort and culture thing. And the thing that just that strikes me is what happens whenever anybody points any kind of criticism at Connor McDavid. Because if you are going to believe that the problem in Edmonton is culture and compete level and just wanting it, you know, you can't want it. The, the coaches can't want it more than the players was, was Hitchcock's line, I think. Right. If you actually believe that that is the issue, then you have to think Connor McDavid is part of the problem because he's the captain of this team. He's the he's the face of the franchise. He's the guy the whole team is built around. And so, you know, when somebody who who seems to think that it's a culture issue comes after Connor McDavid, to me, that's the only thing you can do. You can't say it's a culture issue for everybody but not Connor McDavid. He's your leader. It's got to be part of his problem. I don't think it is a Connor McDavid problem because it's a talent issue. And if we're talking about talent, Connor McDavid's the most talented player in the league, and it would be ridiculous to to say that he's not doing enough. But I I do think that it's it's interesting to me that there are people out there who seem like they want to say that the Oilers' problem is a culture and effort problem, and yet they don't want to point any fingers at Connor McDavid. To me, that's a giveaway that you don't you actually know deep down that it's not a culture problem. You know that it's actually uh, a talent problem, and that's why it sounds so ridiculous to even suggest that that Connor McDavid has to shoulder any of this. Well, so my my thing with that is I I, I see what you're saying, and I and I like mostly <clears throat> agree with it. But like my thing is, how are you in the fucking hockey business, and you think it's a culture problem? Like it, like you said, it's self evidently not a culture problem, or you know, it's it's a culture problem underlying a complete lack of talent, right? Like. They, they, they're not right. – like you say, like if I'm Connor McDavid, yeah, I'm not fucking – if everybody else is standing around on, on defense, <clears> which is what happened on the goal that kind of led Spectre to say that, um, like everybody else was standing around and Connor McDavid was also standing around. So like do we want Connor McDavid just fucking going balls to the wall on every shift because everybody else sucks and isn't trying? Like mm. – I think that's an unfair standard to put on him at the end of the day where it's like, hey, you're going to lug around a bunch of fucking no talents all year. Um, and it's February. It's a midweek game against a team you don't care about playing. Like, they're not a big rival or anything. I want you to really be yep. fucking up for this one, by the way, you're four points out of the playoffs. <clears throat> like, it, 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 it is – but hold on. It is a culture problem. But the problem is, is that they are not going to identify where the culture problem comes from. And it comes from Kevin Lowe. Right. And Craig McTavish yes. and Bob yep. Nicholson. And, and you know, when, when you have eight coaches in, in 10 years and in that 10 year span, you've made the playoffs. You've made the playoffs once. And it was almost like, an accident. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a fucking culture problem. It, it completely is. But the, the issue is that it's not, a, it's not a culture problem necessarily of the making of the players. They're just marinating in it. And we saw it, too, with, with the Taylor Hall teams. Like, they marinated in it. They had no fucking confidence. They would blow leads left and right in the third periods because they had, they, 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 there was no reason for optimism or no reason for confidence. And also a lack of and, talent. Like, that definitely plays into And a lack of talent. You're right. You're right. You're completely right. I mean, I, and you could say that one causes the other, but without question, there's a toxicity in that organization. The problem being is that the people that could actually try to affect change to that end and say, you've got to get rid of these guys that for a decade have mismanaged this organization into the fucking ground. They're never going to do it. And they're friends. They're no, no one's going to fucking go after Kevin Lowe. He's a fucking dynasty oiler for fuck's sake. So, of course, they're not going to go to the root of the problem. They're just going to nibble around the fucking edges up there. That's always been the issue. Yes, absolutely. But that goes back to my thing of the media's part of the fucking culture problem. That's the, that's the whole argument I made. Well, and, and, you're a bit of a lippy troll. So. Yeah, right. But, like, that's, that was my point is that, like – Mark Spector is as much of a fucking problem as Kevin – well, maybe not as much of, but certainly in the same ballpark of, as being the same kind of problem as a Kevin Lohr or Craig McTavish. And it's like – because he was around in the fucking 80s too. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. All right. Speaking of culture problems, Mike Russo is our guest this week. Uh, he, of course, is the – uh, multi-millionaire from The Athletic uh, who has uh, bought his third house based on how many subscription signups he's had from the Russo Army in Minnesota. Uh, we talk about The Wild. We talk about Parise and Suter and that legacy. He used to be the beat writer for the Florida Panthers, so we get a bit into the uh, Panthers and uh, their issues with Anton Kudobin this week saying that a recent crowd reminded him, quote, of an exhibition game. So that's always good. And Russo's the best. We also talk about Veep. So that's always a good thing to talk about. So here, here's Mike Russo. Mike Russo is, of course, uh, the, uh, the, most, the predominant voice in, in Minnesota sports. Uh, the man who is uh, behind the Minnesota faction of the athletic and one of the best damn beat writers in the nhl um before we hopped on you had to go track down something what's it like being a minnesota wild reporter in these minnesota wild days that we're having with this franchise (laughs) yeah well it's funny i'm I'm driving out to uh to the eastern uh burbs right now and which is about 30 minutes from where i live and i'm you know, immediately you start thinking, all right, the team's in the tank. You just never know what's going to happen. So all of a sudden I started to get word that something might be happening and that looks like it's going to be a false alarm. But either way, it's like kind of in a panic. I, I ran home to get my laptop just because, you know, regardless, two weeks before the trade deadline at any point, you want to have your laptop with you. And so you just never know, right? I mean, this team is coming off one of their worst losses of the season. Uh, they've won once in the last seven games. And so you just always kind of want to be prepared, uh, especially something big. And for at least uh, a five-minute span there, I wasn't sure of what's going on. Now I kind of think it might be nothing, but, but I just figured like, better be safe fu- than sorry. What the fuck are they doing? Like, I, I remember when yeah. Fenton, Paul Fenton got hired. The notion from the owner, uh, Craig Leopold, was, uh, oh, hey, we just need a few tweaks. Do you think that, like, Fenton actually ever believed that and has just – waited this entire year knowing how things would go and then he can come back to ownership and be like 
actually, as you can see, more than a few tweaks. Like, do you think that in a strange way, maybe this season has sort of validated what he kind of thought the plan w- would have to be, but couldn't really vocalize that when he got hired? Yeah, um, I, I, I wouldn't shock me. I mean, I would say at a minimum that's the narrative now. I mean, and, and I'm not even saying that I know what Paul Fenton's thinking, but anybody with two eyes and a brain. Uh, let alone somebody that's been in hockey as, as long as Paul Fenton has, just looking at this product, and, and you can see they are far from being any sort of legitimate uh, contender. And uh, I do think that right now they are meeting, and a lot of it is letting the owner know, look, you know, this is, it's going to be painful probably, and I get you got to sell tickets, but the reality is we're losing every night on home ice anyway, and the fans are going to stop showing up if this continues, so we might as well make... Uh, a poten- some potential critical moves here. So, you know, yeah. last summer he did try to make some big-time hockey trades. None of them came into fruition. And eventually once he got past July 1, you just knew that they were going to have to go back to the whole tweaking thing. And then they added, you know, the Greg Pattern and free agency and J.T. Brown and Matt Hendricks, and then it really looked like he, he was abiding by the owner's wishes. But the reality is is that even Craig Leopold at that point was giving him the green light to do whatever you want in terms of big trades. And just and those included guys like Niederreiter and Zucker. They were absolutely uh, potentially on the outs here, and and uh, well, they wound up getting past July one, and they weren't traded, and one was resigned, extended, and yeah. and uh, it became kind of the whole tweaking narrative again. But I do think the owner is is a smart guy, and he realizes that this team needed some major uh, overhauls, and was going to let his GM do it. It just didn't happen, and now it's just a matter of all right. Can, can you get it done now, or do you happen in the summer? But I do think there are going to be some major moves here uh, coming up regarding a lot of the core players, again, whether that's in the next two weeks before the trade deadline or uh, this summer. But this just cannot continue. They're not good enough. They're getting older. Their core has been unbelievable disappointments, uh, starting in last year's playoffs, where three of the guys had no points in the playoffs. So right. I do think that we're going to see some significant changes here. The, the Victor Rask for Anita Ryder trade, it, it kind of reminds you like when a studio pays a director a lot of money for like a five picture deal and the first the first picture flops and they're kind of like, oh, shit, what have we done? Like as a litmus test for Paul Fenton's acumen as a general manager, the Anita Ryder deal is not exactly heartening. <laughs> I don't say, is it? Yeah, yeah, it's definitely. No, I, I, I'm not trying to make excuses for him, but first year GMs make mistakes. So I think if you go yeah, back yeah, yeah. to... Uh, if you go back to the Chuck Fletcher, uh, his first year, he traded Nick Letty, and I think that Chuck Fletcher will admit that it was probably his worst move in Minnesota. He just kind of lost his way here and just started thinking, you know, not thinking, uh, you know, long term and, and, and rationally about that situation. And similarly here, you know, Paul Fenton, they have not been in love with Niederreiter's contract. Niederreiter was playing on the fourth line here at least the last week, week and a half, um, and hadn't been playing well either. And so uh, I think that they were just trying so hard for so long to trade him that when they, all of a sudden they called Carolina and Carolina was interested, um, he just jumped at the move instead of realizing that, that one, Victor Rass stinks, and two, <laughs> and, and two his contract stinks. And yeah, now you've created kind of a bigger problem. And to give you an example, I mean, now, now Rask is hurt, so I don't want to, like, be stomping on somebody that's, you know... Right, 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 right. Yeah. You know, the Wild have lost Nico Koivu for the year. They traded for a center, and last night Bruce Boudreau had to play Rask at wing. So on a team that desperately needs somebody to step at center because they just lost their guy for the year, they can't even play him at, 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 uh, in the middle because he's not 
one of their top three best centers. So it just it it didn't make move like I get trying to get rid of Niederreiter. Um, you know, I mean they were not happy with him. I know it's gonna it's it looks horrific, especially now that he's off to such an amazing start playing with Sebastian Ajo, but but I think what he forgot was kind of the long-term things. And I think sometimes GMs, first-year GMs also, you know, the forward thinking sometimes is not their biggest thing. I mean, we've seen it even with a couple of other moves with Brad Hunt mm-hmm. and Anthony Edo. They really didn't make a lot of sense, and now it's really fiddle, uh, messed with the chemistry of this team. And so uh, I, I, I do think that, you know, uh, there have been some issues here that from, from a mismanagement standpoint, and the hope is that, you know, Rask could at some point come in and at least make a contribution. But right now, it just certainly doesn't look good. Now, so let's go back for a few years. Like, there's a big sort of revisiting of the idea of package deals with players now that, like, Panarin and Bobrovsky might have done this, like, yeah. where they're going to be Timu in Korea. And there's been sort of a, a chatter about, like, whether or not that thing ever works. Pa- Parise and Suter were kind of a package deal in some ways, both coming to Minnesota. I mean, they weren't like buddy-buddy. It wasn't like we're taking our talents to Minnesota together. But they certainly were yeah. two big signings at the same time and kind of tied together in that way. If you, With the benefit of hindsight, would you say yeah. that that gambit was successful for the team? I mean, it was obviously successful for the players because they made a lot of money. But for the franchise, looking back on it, when you were hiding in the Auntie Anne's pretzel in the airport trying to get Zach Parise's attention to, to interview yeah. him, uh, now that the, that we've got some hindsight, was the Suter and Parise thing a successful thing for the for the franchise? Well, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll answer it in two questions. From a bit perspective, it actually absolutely changed the, the, the franchise from the standpoint, one, they've made the playoffs six years in a row, which only Pittsburgh has done more often. Um, and... And from a business standpoint, this team was dying. I mean, Craig Leopold was dealing with an organization that, that was starting to really struggle getting guys, uh, seats in the building, uh, fans in the seats. And, and, uh, they hadn't made the playoffs, uh, in, in, since 2008. And they were, they were struggling. And he was trying to make some pizzazz with a couple of hometown signings. The problem is, is, well, there have been a couple problems. One, they were hit with the cap recapture after the fact. Um, you know, so, so while even technically they were living by the rules then, they, they, they are the ones paying the piper in hindsight if these guys ever retire. Right. Um, and the other big thing is that they gave them superstar money when they're not superstars and the cap didn't accelerate to the way that they thought where that it has inhibited, inhibited their flexibility to go out and ever get in on the John Tavares of the world. But the other area where, where I, as a GM in hindsight, would never give deals this long, not that you can anymore, is it absolutely has handicapped their ability to ever put guys in roles where they could potentially succeed here. They, they, there are players here, whether, it be, whether it's Ryan or Zach or Miko Koivu, that have blocked out other guys. So like Eric Hala, huh. never, ever, ever able to get into a position like he was in Vegas because he always had to contend with, you know, Eric Stahl and, and Nico Koivu and, and frankly, Marty Hansel even. And, and same thing here. I mean, Nino just never could get to a point of, of really elevating in the lineup because he's always behind the Parisis of the world or even Coyle, Zucker, Gramlin, and those guys. So what it does is on a 13-year deal, it puts the coaches in a position too where you feel like you have to constantly keep them in their roles because you're going to create an atmosphere where now they're pissed off. And yeah. it just creates a dynamic where guys can't... In those 13 years, the hope is that you're going to have 
the Luke Cunnins and the Erickson X and the whoever's of the world come in here, step in, and then all of a sudden be able to peel off being a top six forward. And if you constantly had number one defensemen and number one left wings and number one centers that are blocking those guys out, they can never succeed. And then all of a sudden you get into a situation where guys like Niederreiter are traded and then all of a sudden they potentially erupt. So. I mean, essentially what you're saying is that the team, the team has been too veteran-laden, right? Like, it's not just Parise and Sudo. It's, it's a number of veteran guys that they've committed years to and committed, you know, to not move that have sort of clogged up the works and kept – and frankly, it's amazing because when you think about why Parise and Suter signed there, it's because they had allegedly all this youth in the pipeline to come up and eventually become a contender. So you're saying because the team was so veteran-heavy, that youth never got a chance to really blossom there. Well, you know, in, 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 the reality is also it has been now the seventh season since they've been here. So, you know, a lot of the guys when they signed here that they kept on hearing about were the Zuckers, Gramlins, and Coils of the world, Rodian and, and players like that. And those guys became core members of this team. The problem is that core never was able to be good enough to get this team over the hump. So, right. uh, you know, Parisi and Suter got those 13-year deals, but the reality is they hope to win a cup in those first four or five years. Now they've hit year seven. The core yeah. hasn't been good enough, and now they've hit their, you know, 33-year-old ages here where the team just has, has sort of passed that window. So, you know, from a business standpoint, it made all the sense in the world. But, uh, you know, I did an oral history I, I, I figured out when the exact halfway point of the contract was, and that was actually early January. And so, it's, in a way, I did a kind of a really cool oral history on the days that they led, uh, the days that led, and the actual signing of Freezing Suter. But it was, it was also a way to write the story to kind of like, hey, everybody, they still have six and a half years left. And um, so that, that ran in early January. And the one thing that you will realize when you read that, which is a little scary, that I didn't even realize is that this really was a spur-of-the-moment decision from the Wild. There was always this this narrative, the six months leading into free agency, that the Wild were going to go after both Parisi and Suter and try to tag-team them. But the reality is, inside the organization, Chuck Fletcher and Craig Leopold only thought and expected to only get one of them and huh. planned to go after one. And then all of a sudden, I mean, literally on the eve of them signing, it became real to Craig Leopold, the owner, like, wow, we can get them both. They now suddenly want to play together. And then it was like a 10-second decision by Craig, yeah, let's do it. And probably much to the very discomfort of Chuck Fletcher um, because he knew the commitment and he knew that in years five, six, seven, if they didn't win, then all of a sudden it would hurt the flexibility of this team and potentially block other guys out from 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 going. And so, yeah. I mean, it's just an interesting thing that you can, you know, you can make such a, a million, multi-million dollar long-term decision where you invest $196 million into two players and, and frankly, change your franchise uh, for the good and potentially eventually for the bad if you don't get it. And that decision actually wasn't over months and months of analyzing it. It was, it was literally a 10-second phone call, like, how committed are you? Do you want them both? You can have them both. Okay, let's huh. do it. You know, it's just a, it's a really interesting story. And if, 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 uh, at that story, I, I, uh, you know, very much, uh, suggest that they go back to, uh, the first week of Jan- uh, January, I wrote that, uh, story. And it's, I mean, it took me probably 15 hours to write the article. It was that, yeah, wow. that stressful in Montreal, just trying to seam this all together. You think these oral histories would be easy to write? They're actually very, very difficult. So, so. <laughs> they're not. They're not easy at all. It's a lot of calling around yeah. and a lot of shit. But luckily, it seems like you understand 
where they should be applied and where they shouldn't be applied. If I ever see another fucking oral history of a play <laughs> that I just saw the night before, which is like a thing. Yeah. The, the NBA is famous for this now where like a guy hits a shot to win a game and the next morning it's an oral history of that shot. Yeah. Motherfucker, I just watched it. I don't need yeah. the oral tradition to tell me how important the shot is. I just watched it. I understand. Yeah. Um, now, is, yeah. now, is that story that you wrote locked or unlocked? For, uh, on the athletic. Um, I believe it is locked. I believe it is locked. But if you go to the athletic.com slash I know Russo, you get 40% off. You you are when I talk to the athletic people, uh, <laughs> the people that you work with, and not just on the hockey side, I keep hearing about how you are an absolute marvel at having cultivated subscribers, of having marketed, that you've made uh, tons of money just by how many people have signed up because of you. Is that accurate? Well, I don't know about that. I mean, we have, I, I, you know, and I, I don't want to make it an infomercial and, you know, but, but uh, we are so blessed with, I mean, it is, it, I, every day I open up the app and I, 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 my first hour and a half, two hours are just reading articles to my colleagues and I'm just like, God, I'm not doing, like, it gives me motivation. Like, oh my, I better get back on the, on, start working here and catch up to all these people. And so, you know, we've been really, yeah, I mean, in Minnesota alone, I mean, luckily I had a following, and I will say that the first uh, week and month that I started The Athletic, I was really concerned that people would follow me over, and we, we surpassed our year, their year expectation in terms of subscriber numbers. We hit in the first, like, week. Uh, wow. It was really humble really cool. Um, but, but what's really, you know, neat, neat about the whole thing is, is, you know, honestly, like, when I... You know, I don't want to say show for it, and but put out all these subscriber links and, you know, please subscribe, please subscribe. I really do believe in it. Like, I I just love it. I, I just, from a hockey fan perspective, I was a subscriber to The Athletic before I was uh, working for them. And I just I just love it. I just think that if you are a hockey fan, it's just the greatest place to go and read everything. And trust me, that doesn't mean you don't read everybody else. I read you every day. And, oh, that's uh, that, sweet. And that doesn't mean, yeah. And, you know, like the other day, you know, I went out to the Buffalo News and I loved Mike Carrington's piece on the uh, uh, the column that he wrote on, uh, the. frankly, I mean, a horrible that I remember vividly, the, the aftermath of that continental oh, yeah. airlines. The plane crash, yeah, well, for sure. I absolutely read newspapers, and, and, but to me it's just, you know, because I'm a hockey fan and everybody's got a different voice and different things to cover, so... Let me ask you about a place you used to work. You used to work in Florida. You used to be the Panthers beat writer. I think it's the first yeah. time I ever read you was as the Panthers beat writer. What's, when did you leave Florida? When did you leave that beat? Uh, 2005. 2005, so right after, okay. Right after the lockout, I left. Okay, so yeah. 14 years later... Anton Kadobin, goalie for the Dallas Stars, is talking about how the attendance is so low at Panthers games that it feels like an exhibition game. 14 years after you left the beat, are you fucking fascinated that A, these things are still being said there, and B, the team is still there to have these things said about it? Yeah, I mean, logically I'm not, because I also when I was covering him, it's pretty much unbreakable until 2028. Yeah, I was trying to get a new downtown arena, which I, you know, I, if I was the government, I'd laugh at them. But, um, <laughs> but look, you know, I, I don't blame the fans there. Like the one thing I and I, we've talked about this before. The one thing I am sensitive to is I know there are passionate and knowledgeable fans down in South Florida, but there is so much entertainment dollars down there that could go around that you could do a thousand different things. That if you are going to show up to Panther games, you want to see them win and you want to be entertained. And the reality is, 
is that they have not won a playoff round since 1996. There are exactly. 23-year-old men and women that have not seen this team win. Uh, they, 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 they stink as an organization because they are so absolutely dysfunctional, and it's been a never-ending cycle for as long as I've been around. And, um, and so I blame the organization for this, and they've got to figure it out. The problem is that a lot of times that they figure out, the way that they, they try to do it is go out and say, all right, we're going to fire Bob Gugner now, and oh, we're going to get rid of Dale Talon now, and we're going to have a new owner now, and every time you do that, you start the plan over again, and it just leads to more and more dysfunction. So I'll be interested to see here. Uh, this Bobrovsky, Tanarin, tag team, the Florida stuff, I believe is absolutely real. I think they, yeah, there's a reason why he fired Dan Milstein and, and hired Paul Theofanis, and um, they, they both love South Florida. Uh, if they can figure out a way to get rid of Luongo's contract, there's a way that they can fit them both. And yeah. I remember at the All-Star break, the All-Star break was uh, Columbus's last game was here in Minnesota. These two guys took a limo over to Minneapolis Airport, got on a private chartered uh, aircraft that they chartered, and they flew together down to South Florida uh, <laughs> for their vacation uh, for the for the All-Star break in the bye week. And so these guys love it down there, and um, and there's there's a lot of reasons. I mean, and they're at an yeah. age where this wouldn't, I think, for easy and scooter. I think this would be a potential game-changer for that organization. Yeah, at least in the regular season with Bob. I wanted to ask you about Minnesota fans real quick. On on the level of uh, psychosis, uh, and you, you know what, what I'm talking from psychosis because you're a, you're an old New York fan. Uh, on the level of psychosis, uh, rank the Minnesota fan bases for me: Wild, T Wolves, uh, Twins, Vikings. Who who is the the least craziest to the most craziest? Um, I would say that they are all equally crazy, and that's because of the nature of Minnesota sports. Uh, you know, every day, every day, Minnesota sports fans wake up, and they've got to wake up and watch these teams that that never seem to win, and then uh, at the same time watching some sort of team in Boston parade around with their championship trophy, and it leads to uh, a lot of craziness here. And these fans, I mean. I'm not kidding. You know, not to dodge your question on who's the craziest, but these fans here deserve better. Um, every organization, every single year, it's the same thing, and um, and they're getting tired of it. And you see it. I, you know, everybody came in this year expecting the Vikings would potentially have a uh, you know championship, and next thing you know, they don't even make the playoffs, and right. and people get fired, and and it was just an awful season here. And and same thing here. I mean, all of a sudden, you know. I remember Tibbs has the press conference two years ago. Everybody's all excited about the future of this organization. And next thing you know, um, uh, next thing you know, um, the Butler thing fired. happens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think right. the Butler thing happens and everything. So um, yeah. I don't know. It's just a mess. Real quick, pop culture. Tell, tell me why I should care about Trampled by Turtles. Oh, they're just amazing. Amazing lives. Um, they are so. Trampled by Turtles is a Minnesota-based uh, uh, bluegrass band. Would be their considered genre. But if you ever see them, like at places like uh, uh, you know Red Rocks or Bayfront here in Duluth, or or down you know at First Avenue here where Prince made famous. I mean, they are absolutely unbelievable musicians. Great singers. Uh, they have a mandolin player, a violin player, a banjo player, an acoustic guitar player who's also their lead singer, a bass guitar player, and a stand-up bass. And if you love music, you will absolutely love them. And so I highly recommend them on Spotify. And yes, I've become uh, 
their biggest salesman. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I was a huge fan of the band before I became friends with them. Huge sports fans, too. And um, I do. I'm a, I'm a groupie. I travel around. I follow them. <laughs> I, uh, during the offseason, I show up at their concerts in North Carolina or Colorado or wherever. And um, I already am planning about three or four different concerts this summer to see them. That's so cool. They don't sound like Old Crow Medicine Show, do they? Or they sound different, um, like a different bluegrass. No, they're, they're different. But uh, but I'm telling you, just go on Spotify, listen to like songs like Winners, Midnight on the Interstate, Victory, uh, Way Too Long, Alone. You'll absolutely love them. The Middle, uh, great, great, great band. All right, last thing. You and I are both big fans of Veep on HBO. Um, yes. I don't want to. I don't want to turn this into a political political discussion, even though it's a political show. But do you? I, I'm I'm afraid that Veep can't be as good in a Trump world as it was in the early <laughs> Trump days or pre-Trump. Um, and I know that the creators of the show have talked about that the, the struggles that they've had to keep their own sort of uh, wild world uh, spinning when the world itself is so wild. Are, are you, as a Veep fan, concerned about that at all? Um, yeah, I mean, like, all I know is that when I turn on that show, it makes me laugh. I mean, she is, like, first of all, Julia Louis-Dreyfus is one of my favorite human beings uh, in terms of being an actress. I just laugh every time from the days of Seinfeld and the days of Saturday Night Live. And I just yeah. think she does a phenomenal job making her the most likable, unlikable human being ever. <laughs> I mean, she is just the most, I mean, that character, what she has turned her into is just hysterical. I mean, and it is just a great show, the level of incompetence of, of them, and I'm really looking forward to this final uh, final year on there. It's a, it's an ensemble that doesn't get the due that it deserves. Like, every other ensemble, like Seinfeld, for example, like, everybody knows how great the ensemble was and stuff, but, like, yeah. she's amazing, and then the characters they put around her are, are equally Jonah and Matt Walsh's guy. Like, all of them are so fucking funny uh, that I was, I was genuinely surprised after the first season, how much I liked scenes that didn't involve her, which I didn't think would be the case because I thought she was the key to sort of everything on that show. But you can go a couple yeah. scenes now where it's just a supporting cast and it still is funny. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. All right. Mike Russo is the best. Sign up. Where, where do people sign up for Athletic Crap again? Theathletic.com slash I know Russo. I know Jesus. You're like you're like a you're like a, a diamond salesman on billboards. I yeah, I know Russo. What exactly. is this shit? All right. Thank you so much, Mike. Hey, Greg. Our thanks to Mike Russo uh, here to talk about the the foibles of the Minnesota Wild. There were a few times during our conversation where Russo was checking his phone and saw text messages coming through, and he was worried that news was going to break whilst we were doing our interview. So uh, keep an eye on the wild <laughs> in the near future uh, as far as uh, what might happen there. Uh, listen, if, if they start really uh, sucking and falling down the standings and it's just a huge disaster, what that means one thing for all of you. Tickets will be available. And if tickets are available, there's only one place to get them, and that's with SeatGeek. You know, getting tickets online can be far too complicated with hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability. It's hard to know hubba 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 money, money, money. Who do, who do you trust? That's why SeatGeek is the way to go. SeatGeek pulls uh, millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find uh, the seats that you want for a price you're willing to pay. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Make SeatGeek your go-to ticket source for everything from sports to concerts to comedy to theater. I, I use it all the time when I'm buying hockey tickets. 
because of the big green circles. Go to the app. Look at the big green circles. The bigger and darker and greener the circle, the better the deal it's going to be for you. And that's a good thing to know because sometimes you're looking at the price and you're like, ah, that seems reasonable. But then you look at the circle and it's like yellow and it's like, warning, do not get this ticket. So SeatGeek makes it really easy for you to buy tickets. And we thank everybody who uses the SeatGeek app and sends us photos of themselves at the game because, frankly, our sponsor enjoys seeing that you use their product. Best of all, listeners to Puck Soup can get $10 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app today. Enter the promo code SOUP, S-O-U-P, that spells SOUP. That's promo code SOUP for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. I don't think we talk enough uh, Canadian Football League on this podcast, um, so I am delighted to uh, bring the CFL into focus this week um, for a story that I, I honestly think might be the best puck soup football story that could ever be uh, mentioned. Uh, the Toronto Argonauts, former home of uh, Rocket R- R- Ismail and Bruce McNall, uh, have signed international defensive linemen. This is how they phrase it. International defensive linemen. Poop Johnson on Wednesday. Uh, Poop Johnson is 26. He has played uh, two seasons with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Um, he played with the Atlanta Falcons and the Kansas City Chiefs. And he is one of these internet things where whenever his name gets back into circulation, and the CFL certainly put it there by saying, DT Poop Johnson has signed with Toronto Argonauts. <laughs> then it becomes a massive international sports story. Poop Johnson signed by Toronto, Ryan. Yeah, that's <laughs> I, I I know who Poop Johnson is. I know what the Toronto Argonauts are, and I've definitely heard of the Canadian Football League. <laughs> Poop Johnson got his nickname, according to Deadspin, um, in 2014 when he was still playing college football for the Kentucky Wildcats. The defensive tackle was asked about his fluctuating weight, so he was honest about his bowel movements. Quote I try to poop like five times a day, three times a day, so it's hard keeping. It's hard to keep weight when you're when you've got so much going out. Now, to break down the sentence structure here, <laughs> I try to poop. <laughs> I try to poop like five times a day, three times a day. <laughs> that's fifteen times, I think. <laughs> but how that's much how is this guy Johnson- eating? Yeah, right? Like, it's a, it must be like a garbage disposal to have that much fucking leaving his system. But that's how Poop Johnson got his name. And that, kids, is how Poop Johnson got his name. <laughs> it's pretty incredible. He's good. Like, that, this is going to be the most marketable player in Toronto Argonauts history. Mm-hmm. Which, <laughs> But it's, it's also, like, in the grand tradition of amazing sports names, of which, obviously, the NHL has contributed not only... New Zealand line, but also the great Cummy Burton back <laughs> decades ago. Yeah. And we, we want to know if, if he got his nickname the same way that Poop Johnson got his nickname. <laughs> if he was asked, five how, time, how do you keep your five, weight five, off? Well, yeah, actually. Five, five times a day, three times a day. Yeah, you, know. <laughs> you know it. <laughs> Poop Johnson. It's, it, it, it's, it's beautiful. And, and again, like, as a journalist... You are forever indebted to players that give you uh, room to operate with headlines. And oh, Poop yeah, Johnson, 100%, ladies and gentlemen. hundred <laughs> percent. His Players Tribune article is the straight poop. 
you know, it's just on and on and on. Poop in the dumps. Uh, just, I hope I, I just I hope it works out and the Argos don't have to drop poop. That would that would be a shame. <laughs> you know, he's, I, as a defensive tackle, you'd want him to be a bit more aggressive. Actually, poop's a bit of a floater. I found that's kind of a problem. <laughs> <Come on. laughs> All right. I'm One sorry. thing you just you don't you don't want him to end up getting injured because uh, you know. You never, you never want to have a player up in the up in the press box, real upper decker situation. Oh, okay, all right, that's true. Yeah, uh-huh. that's... Yeah, that's right. Too bad he didn't play in the NHL back in the late 1980s against Jim Corn because it could have been poop on corn rather than corn on poop. Yeah, right, but he's, I, I think Darren Poopa did play against Jim Corn, so so pretty corn, similar. Corn and Poopa, yeah, could be that. Yeah, Poopa corn match up that's right mm-hmm. yeah if you're if you're listening right this segment goes for another 45 minutes so <laughs> that's right. you might want to just skip ahead thank, thank you future sean um yeah. david pasternak was injured while quote attending a sponsorship dinner on sunday night for the boston bruins which is the single greatest fucking line i've ever read in an official statement from a team about a player who fell down and hurt himself while drunk <laughs> well we, allegedly we can say allegedly, allegedly. Be- yeah. Because the, my favorite part of the statement was that they gave the time, which was eleven thirty, which is it's late. A very normal but I guess, time to be out on a Sunday night. <laughs> it's it's late, but I guess they figured it wasn't so late that like right, you know, it wasn't I mean, two a.m. Right, like right. when you hear that somebody fell down in a parking lot after being out at night, and you kind of just assume it was two in the morning. I guess you know he was getting home before midnight. That's not. Uh, that's not so bad. Is that is that why I I you know that's funny. It didn't even occur to me that that's what the reason was. Like they, you think that they did it just to be like, hey, you know, keep in mind that he he yeah. actually he actually was in uh, uh, done with his activities before the bewitching hour. Yeah, you'd hope so because otherwise, or you don't have to like awkwardly say that something happened like early in the morning, which that always cracks me up when they're like early Monday right. morning. It's like really was it early? Did he get up early? Very and- early. <laughs> and at twelve forty-five, was that? Uh, yeah, no, I, I. That's that's how I read it. That they were. But it's it's the attending a sponsorship dinner, which is the greatest thing ever. Because it's like, it's like, oh God, what if people find out he was, you know, hanging out with friends at eleven thirty on a Sunday night in a city like Boston? Yeah. It was no, a no, 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 no. If 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 people know that he was serving in his official capacity as a Boston Bruins ambassador to one of our fine sponsors, then then it'll be fine that he might have fallen down and injured himself afterwards. I'm going to tell you right now, if you make me go to a work thing at 11 o'clock on a Sunday night, I'm damn sure getting drunk. I better fall down 100%. at least once. But it, no. really, it, it depends on the sponsor, man. Like, if it's, like, Mercedes-Benz, maybe not. But if it's, like, Chico's Bell Bonds and you're, like, David Pasternak, go glad hand at this yeah. fucking sponsorship uh, function, yeah, I, I might knock back several. Yeah, there is no way I'm doing that uh, doing that sober. So, yeah, yeah I'm all this. I, I would lose respect for any player who was fine that's at the right, end of that That's evening. right. A sponsorship, or it could be. Maybe we're misreading it, and it's like one of these things where it's like it's a it's a place for potential sponsors. Like they're trying to impress people, and you know, David Pasternak comes rolling in, fucking shirt half unbuttoned, and he's just like, "Hey, he should definitely be on the boards of the Bruins games." And then he just falls down on the way to the car. 
Yeah. Maybe <laughs> maybe he was it was sort of embarrassing. I don't know. Maybe that's just like a euphemism that he just like loudly announced that he played for the Bruins and they're like, How could yeah. we spin that? That was a sponsorship yeah. event. <laughs> how 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 was this not Marchand, by the way? Like, he cleaned up his act. Everybody you what? know, like people people don't give Brad Mar- Marchand enough credit for uh you know, he had his party days and they're over and now he's just one of the best like I, I feel like he doesn't get like Tyler Sagan gets it a little bit, but people still really act like because I think maybe because of the champions tattoo. Oh uh, yeah, I think people really kind of still expect it out of Marshan, but he's been a perfect little choir boy. All right. Well, and can we, can we so moratorium on licking jokes because in the last two days I've seen. An NBC segment where he went to a cannoli factory with Catherine Tappan just so they could have video of him licking the cream out of the cannoli. Classic shit. And then, and then also, like today, uh, being that it's Valentine's Day as we record this, I've seen at least 105 different Valentines involving Brad Marchand and, and licking. And none involving Jamie Benn. Isn't that weird? <laughs> Did you see that the Dallas Stars? It was, I think it was the Dallas Morning News put out a thing where it was Valentine's Day advice from Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benn. And I'm like, yeah. come on. I didn't watch it, but I'm just like, come on, really? <laughs> Between that and Poop Johnson, this has been the only good week in Twitter history. <laughs> we all knew if we stuck like, with it for the, eight or nine years, it would be worth what's it. What's the eventually. Valentine's Day advice? Show her your spread in ESPN's The Body Issue and or never please her. Yeah. And that's well, the Valentine's Day advice. You'll be going back to your big pile of trash that you live in. <laughs> Another classic. You'll be the only one showing their spread in that cut. situation. Yeah. That's an amazing deep cut. That is incredible. For those who don't remember, that was that was the accusation, I believe, of who was it? It was somebody with the Leafs, right, or somebody who no, used to was, be with the Leafs. No, it was it was a Swiss, when he was with a Swiss team during the uh, twenty thirteen lockout. Um, he was accused by like the cleaning company or whatever that managed the apartment he was renting of leaving it in horrible oh, disarray. I, I'm remembering a different thing because there was also a situation where he, the house that he was renting in Toronto would have these mad, crazy parties and like somebody who I want to say it was like used to be a Leafs. Yes. Like, yeah. owner. Remember that? that? Yeah. Like, like was that complained Sagan, about though? the parties. I feel like that might not have been Sagan. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll look it up. You vamp for a second, but yeah, Jamie Ben, uh, Valentine's Day advice. Yeah. Sagan parties house, Toronto. There we go. Let's see what we got here. But yeah, he was. I mean, he was like the the whole thing where you know the Bruins had to hire a security guard to keep him in his oh. hotel room during the cup run, and it's like he, uh, you, know. He, you know who it was, and this is going to kill Sean. Uh, this is from 2015. Ex Maple Leaf CEO Richard Petty took to Twitter uh, yeah. this week to let everyone know that 23 year old Tyler Seguin was has been, Wow, yeah, has been partying until all hours of the night. Quote Petty. Tyler Sagan now behaving himself? Yorkville neighbors sure don't think so. Lots of loud, noisy parties at 6 a.m. Lots of garbage left behind. So the trash man thing did extend uh, from uh, 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 Switzerland to uh, his, his party house in Good Toronto. For him. He the lives summer. the gimmick. you got to respect it. <laughs> That's right. He's, when he's when he's not trashing uh, houses in York, in Yorkville, he's walking around with his valet Virgil, giving out hundred dollar bills to homeless right. people, just like Ted DiBiase. Exactly, he lives the gimmick. Um, all right, so Pasternak. All right, the NHL trade deadline is fast approaching. We do have a show before the deadline, which will be great. 
because that means all the shit will happen while we're doing the show. But we did want to talk about the deadline briefly in the sense that the Ottawa Senators, as of this podcast, have not indicated whether or not they're going to move Matt Duchesne or Mark Stone or Ryan Zingle. And so what's going to happen, Lambert? Are, are, are we going to see the trades of these uh, gentlemen? Uh, well, the de- or do you the, think that they end up resigning? The definitive update uh, last I saw was that um, Duchesne told Craig Custance that it's a process and, and things are progressing and yes, all that kind of stuff. an ongoing process. Wow, that's the best kind yeah, of process. Those are the best me. kinds. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, so, um, yeah, I, I think they're going to trade, I think, probably two of the three. Um, I, I, if I had to guess, I would think that probably um, Stone and Zingle would be, would be the two um, because Duchesne's just kind of in the middle situation where, like, I don't think a lot of teams really need a hot, the kind of high-end center that um, that he would carry, like, too much of a cost, right? Right. Whereas, whereas I think Stone is if you're going to add a high-end guy, you want to add a guy like Stone who is a winger and a lot of teams that are really good need help on the wings and not so much at center. Uh, Boston, Calgary, uh, probably Vegas spring to mind. Um and Dzingel is just going to cost less than Duchesne would. So, you know, like, he'd, he'd be more of the budget pickup kind of a guy. Yeah. I, I think Stone moves uh, for sure. Like, I, I, I feel like he's – like, there's been so much connection between him and Winnipeg, probably because he's from Manitoba. But there's also been talk about, like, you know, other other places being in the Stone business. I fucking love him. I think he's probably the he's best awesome. acquisition. Yeah, by far the best acquisition of the three, although Zingle doesn't cost anything. Uh, Sean, how do you see this Ottawa situation playing? Yeah, out? I mean, I, I I don't have a good read on it. Even being up here, it's uh, it, it, you know, we it, it seems like it changes every every day. But it, the thing that strikes me is, you know, we've it, I remember two weeks ago being told that you know within a few days the Senators needed to make a decision make a decision yeah and then a week later it was within a few days and then it was you know last uh, on on saturday it was by midweek they absolutely had to know and now we're you know we're past midweek and they still don't know and and they're, they're still you know and, and i get having patience but it it does to me it kind of feels like this fits a bigger pattern with the senators lately where they always seem to want to wait as long as possible on this stuff. Like, remember with Carlson, there was that whole weird thing where they kept pretending that they couldn't make him an offer until July 1st, even right. even as Drew Doughty and, and Oliver ekman Larson had already agreed to deals. They couldn't sign until July 1st, but they had already had the negotiations. They'd already gone back and forth, sat down, hammered out a deal. And the senators kept insisting that they weren't even allowed to to put anything in front of Eric Carlson. And then they kind of did it again with Mark Stone, where there was the, the January 1st. And again, we were told that they couldn't really do anything until then. And now we're told that they can't do anything until they get decisions back from these guys. And like, I, I understand you want to be patient. I understand if you want these guys back, you don't want to do something that's going to make them feel rushed. But at some point, like I feel like it would be completely reasonable for Pierre Dorian to go to either of these guys and say, look, I've got to start talking to other teams and I've got to start putting some trade pieces in place. And, you know, I, I want you guys back. I hope you decide you want to come back. 
if at any point that's the decision you make, I will be more than happy to, to drop all the trade talk and to, to get, get your signature on a contract. And I will not trade you without coming back to you and at least saying, like, look, this is the last chance. We're ready to go here. I, I think that would be fine. But I've got to start talking to, to these teams because we're, to, we're down to yeah. 10 days to make two of the most important trades in the history of the franchise and to just keep kicking the can down the road. And look, maybe they are. Maybe they're doing this in the background, and, and this is exactly what's happening. They have happening. to be. Just like, like, you, like you can't just sit what, – because what's he doing otherwise? Like what's he fucking doing all day well, in that office? What do right? most like, NHL GMs do at this time <laughs> yeah, of year, right? right? They listen. <laughs> they sit around listening but not shopping. And if Pierre Dorian is listening but not shopping right now, he's not doing his job. So, you know, I, I, I would say to these guys, look, I have to do my job. I have to start the process on this. That means you might hear some rumors. You might hear some reports. If that's unpleasant to you, then I'm sorry. But this is me having to do my job and, and look out for this team because I, I can't wait for you guys to keep kicking the can down the road. Because at the end of the day, like, yeah, I mean, I'm sure Senator fans want these guys to stay. I know that for a fact. But it, it, at some point, you got to take the hint. And if, if there's a right. deadline yeah. and somebody keeps telling you, I'll let you know in a few days, and then every few days they, they tell you that it's an ongoing process and they'll let you know, at some point you got to take the hint and just say that maybe what's happening here is both these guys are running out the clock and they don't want to leave on bad terms and just say, I'm not coming back, but that they're just, they're, they're, they're just running out the clock on you. And, uh, you know, I, I just hope for the sake of the senators and their fans and the organization that this isn't what it kind of looks like, which is the senators once again waiting too long to do the things that they need to do, uh, and and talking themselves out of making the hard decisions that the that they need to make. Yeah. yeah. So my my thing with it is um, is for kind of from the other side where I think it might be a situation where you know they're they're doing the thing that they did with Carlson last year. Where they go, hey, we're going to make an offer, and it's going to be a dog – and like the subtext being it's going to be a dog shit offer that he would never take in a million years. But we're going to make the offer anyway just so we can say, well, look, we made the offer and the guy wanted to move on. So you can't be mad right. at us, the Ottawa Senators, who are actually a really well-run organization. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, 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 and it's, the same, it's the same thing um, with, with with these two guys where it's like – we want to keep both of them, and it's like, well, you don't want to pay what it's going to take to keep both of them, and also, like, they probably don't want to stick around because this yeah. is a dog shit organization. Yeah, and, like, like, and so like, you, like you have to go. Wasn't Duchesne's right. whole thing? Wasn't Duchesne's whole thing that he didn't want to be part of a rebuild? Then, yeah. Yeah. like in the in the twisted no, but, Black Mirror episode, he's living now. He's in a rebuild but, again. But, but right. Greg, you're forgetting that the rebuild we've been told only has two years left, and then the senators <laughs> are going true. to go on a run of unparalleled success. <laughs> That's right. For five years and, and, of unparalleled and, and, success. Right. And the Iraqi people will shower them with uh, candy yeah, and sweets. They will be and it'll be as liberators. Exactly. Uh, but That's here's, right. here's the other thing with this is like it, it seems like there's this assumption that if the players, if, if either Duchesne or Stone want to stay, that, that at least one of them will stay, maybe both of them will stay. What do you do if Matt Duchesne comes back and says, I want to stay, but I want eight years at nine and a half million? Does well, that make so sense that, for the senators to do? Like, is, I mean, it it does it does on one level, which is that if they lose Stone and Duchesne, and maybe Cody Cece and Ryan Dingle, um, 
they're going to be approximately seven billion dollars below the cap floor next year. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. So, like, part of the part of the equation on this has to be that you know, like, let's say Mark Stone is a guy the Bruins are targeting, right? Part of that conversation has to be, and I guess we'll take the fucking David Backus contract off your hands. Yeah, but, that's true. But you have to throw in an extra piece or two. And, like, that's the way the senators should fuel this rebuild is by saying, look, you, you want to give us James Neal for the next five years? We'll fucking take him. But you get to throw in an extra prospect in a second-round pick or something like that. Well, yeah. But, but, but yeah. again, they, they can't if, – if this is – if they really think their rebuild only has two years to go, they can't be taking bad contracts or signing bad contracts that go past that. For the next year or two, absolutely, well, 100%. I think, like, the, they, I think they it's should cute be, that you're taking uh, Eugene Melnick at his word here on well, spending you, money and stuff. Uh, like you have to I, only I, in the I, sense being, that – The irony being, by the way, that he said that bullshit at a sponsorship dinner – Yes. So we can't really yeah. <laughs> say that he was of his right mind, it, as it, we know from sponsorship dinners. The only reason anybody <laughs> – nobody should ever be taking him at his, at his word except that uh, it, it, we should take him at his word only in the sense that if he's not telling the truth – we have to assume that Mark Stone and Matt Duchesne believe him because if they don't, then there's no point even having the conversation. They're gone. They're, they're gonna I still leave. think there's no point in having the conversation, but yeah. It's, it's possible, yeah. But I mean if – because the other thing is – I think there's there's two questions. There's is Eugene Melnick telling the truth when he says he thinks the rebuild is going to be over in two years versus is the rebuild actually going to be over in two years and is that a realistic goal? I think the answer to the second question is obviously no. I think the question of has the owner deluded himself into thinking this is how close they are is potentially yeah they they absolutely could do that. So yeah, uh, you know, if put it this way, if they start bringing on bad contracts and signing bad contracts that have four or five eight years attached to them, then that's, that's your dead giveaway that they don't believe what they're selling. That's but again, true. like he might think David Backus is the fucking answer to, to the shoring well, up the, the yeah, third line or too. whatever. And like, and, and in the, in the Bobby Ryan way of, yeah, we're overpaying this guy, but like, he's useful, you yep. know, like he's useful on the ice and he's good in the room and you know, you need well, leaders. I mean, that's for, the thing, like the team and that kind of thing. Like, I can, I can totally see them trying to talk everybody into every, believing the David Backus acquisition that they eventually make is good. Every, or every team, or whoever, every team hates bad contracts, but the Senators, like, they can't afford to have another Bobby Ryan. That's the thing. Like, no. they really, yeah. can't for the long term. You know, for again, for a couple of years, yeah, absolutely, take the hit and and. Uh, I mean, because you're right. You got to ice a roster. You got to hit the cap. Uh, Travis Yost had like a really good piece on TSN where he went through some of the names that the Senators could potentially go out there and try to get. I think that'd be a really smart thing to do. Um, it's it's just how far. But also doing do you that like yourself? speeds up the rebuild, right? Like right because like if you yep. get an extra two picks, like an extra pick and an extra prospect out of all three of those trades because you're taking on bad money in addition to giving up high-end talent well maybe not zingles high-end but um <laughs> affordable you know, talent a, a, but like a guy who's talented and is gonna have value like if you can get i don't know like a first round pick and two prospects out of stone and duchene and then you get another prospect and a second out of stone and duchene because you're also taking back shitty deals mm-hmm. like that really fucking helps Yep. So, yeah. I, like, I, I think that that's only in furtherance of the idea that you're that you'd be rebuilding, um, and maybe, and you know, like Backus maybe isn't the best example because I think he has some no trade protection and who would want to go to Ottawa, but like, what you know, 
You know who I you know who I think I could see them going after uh, and and this is maybe a little bit crazy but Roberto Luongo if 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 the Panthers are really in on Bobrovsky like he he's going to need to go somewhere I don't think he wants to sit around and be a backup it, he, having a guy like that come to Ottawa who has some personality can sell some tickets has some name recognition Everybody loves him yeah that's is, not bad is a well-liked yeah. guy a respected veteran a future Hall of Famer and you know he's got a few years left on on the contract. The the salary goes way down. You know if he retires, it doesn't impact you as far as your the cap recapture. Uh, I could see that being one where you go to the Panthers and say, all right, you're in. And maybe this is an off season thing, but you say you're in on Bobrovsky. You know you can't have Luongo around. What's it worth to you to get out of the rest of that contract and and try to extract something pretty from a team that you would think Price, would you be can probably pretty? Get Jonathan Huberdeau out of that deal. You probably funny. Luongo would be sort of like their flurry for like the, yeah. the Golden Knights, yeah. like their and, and he's got a no move, but you know, it, it's the difference between like is he going to does wanna... he have a no move because he already gave it up or or well he's got a no trade. Corey, I'm looking at his thing. He's got a he's got a well, modified no, like, no trade. You, it says if you if you waive a no trade, you keep it. The general understanding is that it is that it is no longer enforceable and like it would only be enforced by like a gentleman's mm. agreement or that kind of thing. I thought yeah, the, I, the, the, the is, the, is that is that how it works? Because I was yeah, under the impression it, they it travel with in some you. cases, and in some cases, the team can give it back to you. The interesting thing about Luongo, though, is I always assumed that like if it's not Florida, it's nowhere. Like I just assumed yeah, he'd, I he'd retire if he's not playing for the Panthers, just because of you know the family, the whole bit. But. We shall yeah, see. he, he right. could end up on Robita Island too, like where he's just like, "Oh, I'm uh, hurt." <laughs> All right. Question of the week for the good people of the Puck Soup audience was: Give us the next coach you think will be fired. We've had twelve coaching changes since last April, uh, and uh, a lot of people believe there'll be more. Rob Taub says John Tortorella. If CBJ can't get out of the first round this year. After the last few years under him, will they ever? Well, I think a lot of that depends on who's playing for him. Uh, D. Machado says, Jared Bednar, the abs have been hot garbage for the past two months. Their star player was in open revolt on the bench, and it's not like he's got the no training camp excuse this time. I don't know. I think making the playoffs last year probably gives him a little bit of uh, hope. Uh, Silver says, uh, Jeff Blaschel, please. I don't think that's going to happen. Did you see Elliot's report that Blaschel might get an extension? Which is kind of crazy. Yeah, um, who knows what goes on in that organization? Yeah, you got, I I wouldn't be letting a Ken Holland sign anyone to extensions unless yeah. I thought Ken Holland was still going to be around. Which he's got a year he left. Maybe. I mean, hey, listen, he could easily just go to Edmonton and fix it. That's a possible <laughs> destination for Ken Holland. Uh, a lot of Jared Bednar's, some Tortorella's, people saying John Hines, but I don't think that Hines is going anywhere. They just no, get I don't an extension. Either. Yeah, this, this same, they're really the same old, same old that you see. Uh, Ken Hitchcock with, uh, probably getting a lot of mentions well, on there, yeah. I would imagine. You can't, yeah. can't and, fire and a guy he, if he quits. <laughs> that's yeah. right. Brian Roberts says the Coyotes strength and conditioning coach. That's funny. Uh, and then finally, Annie says... Uh, Bob Murray is going to fire himself so he doesn't have to, doesn't have to watch the Ducks up close and personal, which would be a hell of a thing. All right. That is Puck Soup for this week. Our thanks to Mike Russo for joining us to talk about the wild uh, trampled. Do you know the band Trampled by Turtles, by the way, uh, uh, Lambert? I do. Big fan. Their most recent record was a real return to form for them after I didn't like the previous two. Um, but still number one, Palomino for me. Not close. 
Well, there you go. Well, Mike Russo, as, as stated, a super fan. Yeah, uh, that's there, it, so thanks. That makes me very jealous. Like a lot of times, um, I am the you know the hockey writer guy who knows the band and like is be- is buddies with them. But Russo being friends with Trampled by Turtles that yeah. pisses me off. Uh, it sh- and it, as it should. Um, anyways, so thanks to him. Uh, trade deadline shit next week. Um, and then after that, obviously, you know, we'll review all the shit that, that happened. Uh, you can read my shit on ESPN. I had a piece today go up about the Austin Matthews contract extension and uh, the ins and outs of it. And you could read my shit on Twitter at Wyshynski, W-Y-S-H-Y-N-S-K-I. And uh, where's your stuff, boys? Sean, go for it. I you got can some stuff to plug. So find my. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Down Goes Brown. You can find me at the Athletic. This week we are arguing over uh, what was the most important trade in the history of the NHL that didn't happen. Uh, going through some of the the weird history of of trades that were reported or, or very close and, and didn't end up happening. Uh, and you can also get my book, The uh, Down Goes Brown: History of the NHL, uh, at uh, fine bookstores everywhere. Uh, and uh, you can find me on Twitter at Two Line Pass. Uh, you can find my stuff on Yahoo Sports. Yahoo.com slash author slash There it is. Ryan Dash Lambert. Lance Lambert. HTTP right. backslash. Well, put the yes in there so it's a secure connection. But There it is. And then also, the other thing I have to plug is I started on the Patreon a. Uh, a, a weekly newsletter that's you know just kind of my thoughts on some hockey stuff, on some pop culture stuff. I reviewed the le- the second Lego movie last week, um, and yeah, it's it's I think three bucks a month if you get it with the podcast bonus episodes, and four bucks a month if you just want only the newsletter. Which hey, you know who can blame you? Um, and and uh, yeah, so. Uh, sign up for that. People seem to really like the first one, and so I'm just going to keep doing it. Nice. I, I should say that I saw. Uh, I don't know if I told you I saw Glass. Uh, what do you think, Greg? I I thought that it had the makings of a really good flick, uh, and uh, but th- there was something maybe lost in the execution. Not to spoil the film, which I obviously won't do. But there's a there's a few twists at the end. I know, shocking in a Shyamalan film. But one in particular was very interesting, but completely not not uh, communicated in any way before the end of the film. And uh, I think that it required maybe a little bit more foreshadowing than was given. It was given, if you know what I'm saying, buddy. Um, I. Th- I think I do. Uh, we, we can talk after, but I th- I'm pretty sure I know what you're talking about. Okay. Um, yeah, it, for me, it was fine. Like, I liked it well enough, but, like, I don't know. It, for me, it was just, like, in much the same way as Split, I was like, oh, that was pretty good. Um, I don't know that I needed to revisit this universe as much as I liked right. Unbreakable. The Unbreakable Extended Universe. Okay. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We will talk to you uh, next week and enjoy the Patreon mailbag as well. Bye. Bye. Bye bye. Sticks and hits and goals and saves and slap shots and goons. We've got smoothly commentary to what a few commute. But we also cover movies, TV shows, hits and tunes. It's your weekly bowl of hoggy and nonsense. Box <sighs> soup.